So these two texts that Sharon read for us today are, are tricky texts. They're not easy for us to hear or to make sense of. And there are a number of reasons for that. Um, one of the reasons is that both of these texts, both of the stories you heard Sharon read for us today, arise out of a particular context, a particular set of questions that were being asked by early Christians. There were questions about the end times, what Scripture calls the day of the Lord, the second coming, the return of Jesus at the end of the age. Now, that's a little more obvious in the reading from 1 Thessalonians, right? This, the day of the Lord is explicitly named there. It's described as coming like a thief in the night. The gospel reading from Matthew, it's a parable. And if, if you look at, what you have to do there is look at what's right around it in the gospel of Matthew. And you see there that it's also in this context of Jesus teaching the disciples about the end times, about the coming of the Son of Man. So let's do a brief review of where we've been in the Gospel of Matthew in the past few weeks. A number of weeks back, we had stories of Jesus coming into conflict with the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious authorities of his time. They were asking him questions to trick him, to trip him up. And then two Sundays ago, Alice explored with you Jesus' critique of the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees. It's getting kind of more intense conflict. And then between that passage and today's passage, uh, Jesus harshly condemns the religious elites of his time. And he even predicts the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, the, the very center of their universe. That prediction is what prompts the disciples to ask Jesus about signs. They want signs. How will we know when the end is near? So Jesus describes a time of wars and rumors of wars, of terrible persecutions and of false messiahs trying to lead people astray. He describes the day of the Lord, the coming of the Son of Man, and he concludes with a call for them to keep awake Keep awake. This is a call that again is echoed in the reading from 1 Thessalonians. So this is the context. These are the questions that these texts are responding to. Questions that were top of mind to the early church. Now, knowing all of that may not make this any less tricky for us to, to make sense of. And some of you may be having trouble keeping awake uh, listening to this sermon. Um, but stick with me for a bit. The challenge for us in this is that questions about the end times, questions about the day of the Lord, questions about Jesus' second coming are usually not top of mind questions for us. They don't have that kind of urgency that they did for the early church. We hear these readings and we wonder, what does this have to do with us? It sounds like ancient history, some strange old prophecy that isn't meant for our ears. And it is true that there are some details in some of these texts. They're very historically related. Some of the details are lost to us. The meanings are lost to us because they are coming out of that specific time. But the church continues to maintain that these readings that you heard today are Holy Scripture. 
that they indeed have something to say, even now, even today, even though they come out of an ancient context, they have something to say to our lives today. Let's look at this repeated call then to keep awake. It's there in the First Thessalonians reading, as I said, but it's also in the background. It's in the background of the gospel reading. This parable of the talents is actually a part of a set of three parables, and it's the third one. First, there was a, a, a parable of the faithful slave, the one who, who uh, maintained things while the master was away. Then there was the parable of the ten bridesmaids with the lamp and the oil. And finally, this parable today, the parable of the talents. All three of these parables have in common this background image of the delayed return of the master, this unexpected waiting period, this passage of time, and what happens? What is the faithful response in the meantime, in the in-between time? Here's the thing I found surprising about this, though. These are stories that are being told amongst the first generations of Christians. Do you know 1 Thessalonians was written less than 20 years after the crucifixion of Jesus? This is like really tight time frame to the time of Jesus. And already in the first generations of the church, there is this tendency to fall asleep. Already in the first generations of the church, Paul and the gospel writers felt this need to say, hey, stick with it, keep sharp, don't go dozing off, don't go drifting away, keep awake. How much more so then do we need to hear that message, right? Twenty centuries later, how much more likely is it for us to be having a hard time staying awake? We were very likely this, at this historical distance to be sound asleep sound asleep asleep to what well asleep to jesus teachings asleep to what god has done for us in the life death and resurrection of jesus christ asleep to the realization that the world was forever changed on the cross In that letter to the Thessalonians, Paul says, he's reminding them, he says, they belong to the light and they belong to the day. That in the cross of Jesus, all of their old ways have been put to death and they've been born anew. As reborn people, their lives ought to look different than they did before. So he's urging them not to backslide not to return to their old ways. He's encouraging them to keep building one another up into Christian community, a community that looks very different than the communities they have come from. It's a wake-up call. This parable of the talents also can be read as this call to steadfastness, to, to not backslide, uh, to faithfulness, to sticking with it over time, staying awake. In this story, the master entrusts his property to his servants and then he goes away for a long time, the, te the text tells us. He's leaving them to manage in the meantime. Two of the servants, the first two, they use what is given in the service of their master. 
And the third digs a hole in the ground and buries what he's been given. It's like the first two are awake and engaged in their master's service while the third has chosen to just go to sleep. And then in the story, eventually there's a day of reckoning, right? The, the day of the master's return. Again, the day of the Lord, the, the end of the age. Each servant has to give an account of what they've done with what they've been given. And this is, again, another aspect of the story with which we are probably uncomfortable. This notion of judgment, of reckoning, of having to account uh, at, the, at the end. The story ends very badly, very badly indeed for the third servant, the one who'd buried the talent. And the first two are praised and rewarded. Well, it seems to me in the context that we've been talking about, what is being praised and rewarded here is that the first two kept at it. They stayed actively engaged in the service of the master. They endured, they, they stuck with it, even in the event of a long extended delay. I, you know, surely this is a message. Surely this is a message that we need to hear. Surely this is a, a wake-up call that we need to hear. 20 centuries on. How actively engaged are we in our master's service? Or conversely, have we fallen asleep? Now, if we have, it would be no surprise, right? As I said, Christians in the first generation were starting to doze off, were starting to drift away, and they needed reminders. If they were susceptible to backsliding, forgetting the new life they had found and reverting to their old ways... How much more so are we susceptible to the temptation to, to, to follow other ways? How much harder it seems for us to stay awake to a story that seems so distant from us? And yet, you see, that's the thing. This story is every bit as much our story as it was theirs. It is our story this story is alive to us. The Spirit makes it alive to us and present to us today. The story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The story of God's decisive intervention in world history. The story that changes everything in our lives and our world. See, our challenge is to stay awake to that realization, stay awake to that story and not to allow ourselves to be lulled into inertia and apathy by the other stories that the world tells us. You know, we have, we have stories that come to us from all around, stories that advertisers tell us, stories that politicians tell us, stories that our culture tells us. These other stories would convince us that our primary identity is as consumers or economic actors or partisans of a political, particular political ideology. We start to believe that life is about buying things to make us happy or amassing wealth or winning at politics. But God, our heavenly master, has a different standard of measure. God doesn't care about how much stuff we have. God doesn't care about how much wealth we have amassed. God is not a partisan of any particular ideology. 
see what God cares about by looking at what God does. God entrusts his treasures to us even before he has any idea whether we are worthy stewards of what we have been given. We call that grace. God in Jesus poured out his life in service for the lowly, the lonely, the outcast. See, as a group, I know we are diverse, but as a, taken together as a group in this church, we are amongst the most blessed people who have lived in all of human history. Collectively, we have great material wealth. Most of us live with a high degree of, of peace and personal security. We have been given a lot. But, you know, to God, a lot of what we spend our lives doing, a lot of what we do with our gifts, might look to God like we're burying, burying it in a hole in the ground. We're taking what we've been given and just burying it in a hole. So stories like this are a wake-up call to us, a wake-up call to remind us what God has done. We may not like the idea of judgment or this day of reckoning. We may not know what to make of the day of the Lord, the second coming of Jesus. But as Christians, we have been baptized into this story. We have been given a new identity. We have been gifted and blessed with so much. We have been given all we need to live into our calling. God has done this all for us. God has entrusted his most precious treasures to us. The life of his son. The ongoing indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. So let us keep awake and engage in the joy of our master's service so that we are able to say on that day, Lord, here is what I have done with what you have given me. My life is my way of saying thanks. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for loving us enough not to leave us to our own devices. You gave us a higher standard of judgment for our lives than what seems right personally to us. You not only bless us with great gifts, but you hold us accountable for our use of these gifts. We know that we've been greatly blessed, but we also know that for those to whom much is given, much will be required. Give us the grace to live our lives so that when you judge us, you might take great joy in the way we have used your gifts in the living of our lives. Amen.